Well, this morning, we want to look at a passage that provides us with confirmations about the end. And this is Revelation chapter 10. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Hopefully by now you were able to find God's Word, uh, open it, and uh, let's read it. I will read it, and I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the seven thunders. Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go. Take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must prophesy, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Father, we thank you for the word that you have revealed to us. We would not know your plans with us. We would not know your plans with the world, unless you had revealed them to us. So, Father, as we are before your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that our hearts would be edified, would be challenged, and would hear your voice. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you have not figured it out yet, we are back in the book of Revelation. We, uh, we have taken a six-week uh, break um, from this book. And uh, it may be helpful to remind us, as we are getting back into it, maybe helpful to remind us where we've been up to this point in the book of Revelation. For those of you who are new to our congregation, we're working our way through the book of Revelation. And uh, it's, uh, it's both a joy and a challenge as we are working through it. Uh, but just to review where we've been, in the first three chapters, uh, the Apostle John gave us an introduction to the book and the, the first seven uh, letters or the, the seven letters to the seven churches that Christ wrote to seven uh, churches in Asia Minor. And then in chapters 4 and 5, John saw a vision of the throne room of God. A God seated on his throne with, a, 
with a scroll in his hand that was sealed, and no one had the authority to open up the seals but Jesus alone. And as Jesus begins opening the seals of the, of the scroll that was in, in, in initially in God's hand and now in Jesus' hand, as these seals are open, we learn that, that these actually represent God's judgments, that with the unbreaking of each of the seals, um, that God brings various manifestations of judgments upon the earth. And from chapter 6, we see these, the unfolding of the judgments of God. Now, in the book of Revelation, we have 21 judgments. There are three sets of seven judgments. And each of these uh, judgments, each of these sets of judgments, um, are not supposed to be interpreted linearly. In other words, the 21 judgments are not coming out chronologically. But the three sets, when they, once one of them is completed, it's as if they, they start again. They take again the, the story of God's judgments, but with greater precision, with more details, so that we really have the the same idea being introduced, repeated, developed um, three times. It's like, a, if I could give you an illustration, it's like the, those stairs that are circular. Have you seen those stairs that are circular? And if you go one time through them, take one 360 degrees around the stair, you go once and then you go again. And you may see the, the same thing on the walls because it's the same pattern, but you are at a higher level. It's the same idea. You, you come up to these judgments multiple times. And every time we may, we'll see some repetitions, but also there's some development. Well, that's where we get with these, with these judgments. The first set of seven judgments were the, the seven seals. And we saw that between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, uh, the... God, in, 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 in revealing these judgments, hits a pause button on the, on the introduction of the, of the judgments, and he takes the time to give an interlude. Uh, and we saw that in, in chapter uh, 7. The same thing happens here in chapter 10. But this time, we are, this passage that we have just read, we are in between another set of judgments, the, the trumpet judgments, the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And the passage could go from the sixth trumpet directly to the seventh trumpet. But God chooses to hit the pause button on the unfolding of the judgments and says, I want to take a break for a second, and I want to tell you more before I move on to the seventh trumpet. And the interlude, it's a second interlude in the book of Revelation. This interlude starts in chapter 10, verse 1, and goes all the way to chapter 11, verse 14. And in verse 15 of chapter 11, the seventh trumpet picks up again. So that's where we are in the book of Revelation at this point. Now, the sixth trumpet ended with a sad conclusion. More sad than the judgments of God that were introduced with the sixth trumpet. More sad than that, although that was, a, that was a, quite a visceral picture of God's judgment. But more sad than that is what we see at the end of chapter 9 that despite the judgments that God has introduced and warned us about, in verse 20 of chapter 9, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver, 
bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, this is a sad conclusion. But it also gives us a warning that if we are left to our own sinfulness, our only willing response is to refuse to repent no matter how great God's warnings and judgments are. How wicked sin is. Just take a moment to reflect on how wicked sin is. It has the effect on humanity to leave us deeply unrepentant, even in the midst of God's judgments of our idols. Friend, don't take the power of sin lightly. Sin has the power to harden the people of the earth so deeply that despite all the warnings that God would give them, they are still remaining willingly, by their own choice, unrepentant in their sin. But this raises the question, does man's rejection of God changes God's plan about the end? Does humanity's stubbornness in unrepentance pose a threat to God's plans? And the text we're looking at this morning gives us the assurance that despite humanity's rejection of God, His plans will stand fulfilled, will be fulfilled as He designed them to be. So this morning we're looking at, at confirmations about the end. And the passage we have just read uh, can be divided in two big parts. If you like taking notes, the two big ideas uh, from this passage will be the following. God's mystery will be fulfilled. God's mystery will be fulfilled. And the second point that we will see is that God's message must be proclaimed, even if it's bitter. God's message must be proclaimed, even if it's bitter. Now, as we look at these passages, at these two points, the first point will be a lot longer than the second. So if you find ourselves, if you will find yourself uh, towards the end of the the service and we're still on point one, it's designed to be that way. Don't, Don't panic. We'll get out in time, hopefully. God's mystery will be fulfilled. The second interlude in the book of Revelation begins with a strong confirmation that What God announced to his prophets concerning the mystery of God will take place. It's impossible for the mystery of God to fail. It will be fulfilled. And notice how God makes this mystery, the confirmation of this mystery, uh, clear in this passage. uh, God sends an angel, a mighty angel. Chapter 10, John sees the appearance of a mighty angel who makes a declaration through the act of giving an oath. Now, you know this is a mighty angel because he he has his two legs standing on the sea and on the land. This is a humongous angel. Not only is he humongous, but his description is is dazzling. Uh, Before we get to hear what he announces, the description of this angel is aimed to awaken our attention. Uh, We are told in verse 1 that he's coming down from heaven. That shows that God is sending a messenger to declare to us um, his, uh, God's message. 
He is wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Some interpreters uh, look at the fact that some of these descriptions uh, match with the descriptions of Jesus in chapter 1. And might say that here we have a, perhaps this angel represents Jesus. Uh, that is not a likely interpretation, even though there are some similarities between the two beings in chapter 1 and in chapter 10. It's, more, it's better simply to take this angel as he is a mighty angel that comes from the presence of God and has the characteristics similar to how the throne room of God and, and the glory of God was described in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, such, such angel in such a dazzling appearance showed up again or earlier uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. And he acted in ways in chapter 12, in Daniel 12, just like this angel acts here. Uh, standing uh, with, with his two feet on, on the earth and the sea and then with a, ra- with a hand raised up. So much of the book of Revelation matches or reflects the story of the book of Daniel. So it's better to take this angel as he's a mighty angel of God. He represents God's presence. He's coming from the, God's presence. And he's entrusted by God and by Jesus to bring John and us an important confirmation. Now we are told that this angel was calling out with a voice so loud that John describes it as a lion roaring. If you were ever in a crowd of people and you wanted to get uh, an announcement communicated and uh, you are trying to get the attention of those around, there's a few things you might try to do to get their attention to listen. Um, You might try to speak loud, but that may not do it if the crowd is big enough. If you know how to whistle, you'll do one of those big whistles to get everybody's attention. If if you don't know how to whistle, you probably, you can try to stand up on a chair. Uh, You may try to clap your hand. You may try to do some sounds to get people's attention. Well, this angel um, doesn't need to whistle. Because his voice is so loud that it's literally described as like a lion roaring. The, the aim of this is, is to get everybody's attention. Everybody's attention. This is, this is what God is trying to do with, through what this angel is communicating. And as we even think about this angel trying to grab our attention, I thought, what, what would God need to do to grab my attention, to grab our attention. If a lion roaring angel would appear to you, would that arouse in you a deeper sense of, of attention to God's word? Like, yeah. And you would tell everybody, right? Like everybody would hear what happened to you. Well, friends, it appeared to John. And John is telling everybody it happened. It happened this way to John. And he wants us now to hear what this angel communicated. So even though the angel didn't appear to us, it appeared to John. And he's telling everybody, listen. Listen carefully. I wonder what has gotten your attention. The things of this world, the plans of the future, the troubles you're in. God is wanting to grab our attention even this morning. This means that the message he is about to give 
This message that the angel is about to announce is, is no secret message. It's, it's for everybody. Now, before we get to the message, uh, there's a little bit of a, of a cul-de-sac here in the story. Um, the, there's a sound of seven thunders that respond to the voice of this angel that speaks like, like, like a lion roaring. And these thunders are apparently communicating an intelligible message. And we know that because John wants to write the message he heard in the sound of the seven thunders. So John heard something that he, he was ready to write. But then John is forbidden to write it down. In verse 4, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Now, this, for, this act of being forbidden to write down is somewhat of a puzzling element in this book. After John was told in chapter 1, write everything that you see in a book. Now to hear about the sounding of these, of these thunders and say, don't, don't write these, that puzzles us, puzzles interpreters. There's all kinds of theories. I think you would, you would be bored to hear all the theories that have been written about what these sounds of thunders may mean. But here's one lesson we can take from it. At the very least, we can say the following. Even though the book of Revelation contains the revealed will of God about the end, as he revealed it to us, as he wanted us to know it, there is more to the will of God than he has chosen to reveal to us. Instead of being preoccupied with what God chose not to reveal to us, we should be content to accept and focus on what God chose to reveal to us and trust that he knows best what we need to know, and what we don't need to know yet. We should trust that what he chose to reveal to us is sufficient for our salvation and for our life of following Jesus. Now, before the angel begins to announce this message, he takes a posture that communicates something important. The angel raises his right hand to heaven. And this is the language of taking an oath or declaring an oath. And then in, in verse 5, we actually are told that he's sore by God or on behalf of God. And he is making a declaration, not simply of truth that he says on his own, of his own, but that he is really speaking on God's behalf. I am taking an oath that I am declaring the message of God. Something of that nature. The angel is taking this posture. And why would that matter as he's giving this? Again, we haven't yet gotten to the announcement. All of this is just preparing us to hear the announcement. Why is this important? Because in, in, in taking this oath, it's a way for the angel to say, to say, I am speaking the truth. I am now making a truth declaration. You say, well, I thought everything in the book of Revelation has been truth so far. Well, it has been. Everything God declares is truth. But he's declaring to a world that is ruled by the beast, as we will see. And one of the primary aims that the beast is using to lure the worshipers of the earth, all the inhabitants of the earth, 
is by using deception and corrupting the truth. So as God's truth is being revealed and communicated in the book of Revelation, we see signs that His truth often comes with these attestations or confirmations. This is the truth. This is not just someone's opinion. This is not just uh, someone's perspective. This is the truth. I am declaring by oath. That's what the aim of this language uh, aim, uh, is, is designed to achieve. Well, let's get finally to the announcement. What is this May angel announcing? Well, look at verses 6 and 7, the second part of verse 6 and verse 7. After he is taking the oath that he is speaking on behalf of the God who created all things, he says, there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. This is the announcement. This is all that has been leading us so far to, this, to, to all the description, the, the oath-taking, to hear this confirmation. There would be no more delay that in the days of the angel uh, that will sound the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, what does it mean that, the, that there will be no more delay? Does it mean that the end will come right away when John is living? No. John is, is at this point in the, chronolo- in the, in the description of the, of the judgments. He, the sixth judgment had taken place. And before the seventh judgment I mean, before the seventh trumpet is being sounded, being blust, uh, uh, blown out, um, there is this announcement. When the seventh trumpet will be blown, God's mystery will be fulfilled. Earlier in the book of Revelation, at the sound of the fifth, or at the breaking of the fifth seal, John saw souls under the altar, and they have cried to God, How long, O Lord? How long until you will vindicate and bring vengeance on, for our blood on the dwellers of the earth? You know, in light, of, in light of last week's bombings in Sri Lanka, the cries of the saints could be, How long, O Lord, until you will vindicate our blood upon the dwellers of the earth who have shed our blood as they have last week in Sri Lanka? And, and in chapter, in chapter um, 6, the answer the Lord gave to those souls is not yet. Rest a little while longer until the number of the martyrs will be fulfilled. Rest a little longer. It's in light of that question that we were not, that no one's ready to hear. Wait a little longer. In light of that question, we must understand the, the announcement of this mighty angel. With the sound of the seventh trumpet, there will be no more delay. God's mystery will be fulfilled. But what is that mystery? What is the mystery of God? Uh, The word mystery can have several meanings, and we must at least rule out what it does not mean in this passage. Uh, The the word mystery can mean um, that which is impossible to know. It's a mystery. You heard that use of the word? 
or it can be, it can be used to, to speak about things that are just complex to understand. We may try to have uh, an understanding of it, but it's just very complex to understand. So, oh, it's a mysterious uh, way how we put all these things together. That's another way to think about the word mystery. So unknown or hard to understand. But there's another way. The word mystery is using the Bible. It's actually used of that which we could not know on our own unless God revealed it. And once God reveals it, it's no longer an, a mystery that should not be known or cannot be known or it's hard to understand. It should be very plain. It's a revealed mystery. And this is the way the, this word, this phrase, the mystery of God will be revealed. That's the meaning of, of it in this passage. We should not understand it as if it's the, the unknown will of God or the complex understandings of, of God's plans. It's actually the revealed will of God. You say, how do we know that? Well, because in this passage, in verse 7, he says that the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. In other words, the mystery of God is not supposed to be mysterious. He revealed it to us so that we may know it, so that we may know what's coming. And you say, well, what is that revelation? What is that mystery? What is that pointing to? Well, one of the books in the Old Testament, one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament that speaks quite often about this or has an important notion of the mystery of God is the book of Daniel. And the passage we read earlier in chapter 2 um, uh, of Daniel, when King Nebuchadnezzar has this, has this dream and he's puzzled by it, he, he wants to kill all the wise men in, in Babylon because no one can tell him what this means. And, and Daniel comes and says, don't kill everyone, I will interpret it for you. Not only was he supposed to interpret the dream, he was supposed to get the dream without the king telling him the dream. So he goes and prays in Daniel 2 and says, Lord God, you alone are the God who reveals mysteries. Would you reveal to me also what you revealed to this king? And would you tell me what it means? And guess what? God reveals the mystery. And, and Daniel goes before the king and he tells him, the, oh God, no one is, oh, oh king, no one is able to, to make known to you what you're asking. No human being could do that. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has revealed to you what will to happen. And if, if we, you've heard the story earlier, read in our service, what is the mystery? The mystery is that the kingdoms of the earth will be destroyed by another kingdom, the kingdom of God, which will stand forever and ever and ever. That's a mystery. All the kingdoms of the earth will be destroyed by the kingdom that God will reveal. Friends, this mystery should be very plain to all of us now. And God revealed that mystery to the king of the highest empire at that time. In other words, no authority in, that could be as high or higher or too high to hear this mystery. Even the highest of kings had to hear this mystery. That's why God revealed it to the king of Babylon. God reveals this mystery that the kingdoms of the earth will be taken over by the kingdom of God. Interestingly, when we get back to Revelation 10, 
the, the angel says, at the sound of the trumpet of the seventh angel, the mystery will be fulfilled. If we look ahead, if we cheat and just look ahead, what's coming, and see what is, what is happening at the seventh trumpet. In chapter 11, verse 15, we get the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Do you hear? Do you hear the mystery? In other words, this mighty angel appears for this purpose to announce and to declare that the sound of the seventh trumpet, the kingdom of the earth will become the kingdom of God. Friends, are you aware of this mystery? Are you aware that the kingdom of this world will not last forever? Are you aware that its ownership will be transferred from whoever claims ownership of it now to the God of heaven and to his Lord, to his son Jesus? Are you living in such a way that it betrays that this kingdom will last forever? Or are you living in a way that looks forward to that puts confidence in the kingdom that God will bring. Friends, being aware that the kingdom of this world um, is uh, not the only kingdom, but that there is another kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, should stir us up. It stirred up Jesus. Last week, we celebrated Easter. Jesus was before Pilate. And Pilate finds out somehow because of the accusation of the Jews that Jesus is a king. So Pilate goes to Jesus and asks him, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you say you are. And Pilate is frustrated. Are you, don't you know that I have authority to, to release you? And, and Jesus says, well, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it was given to you from above. And then Jesus goes on and says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus was very aware that the kingdom he comes from and the kingdom he represents is different than the kingdom of this world. And being aware of that difference enabled Jesus to understand why God was not intervening to save him from the cross. Friends, when we understand that there's another kingdom that is not of this world, it gives us the ability, the strength to live differently because we no longer live with the values, with the priorities of the kingdom of this earth. Friends, the mystery of God is that God is in the process of taking over the kingdoms of the earth. And replace it with his kingdom. He already sent us ample evidence that he's in the process of doing that by sending his son Jesus, who spoke at the very moment of, of, of being crucified, of, of or before being crucified, why he is not expecting the angels to come and rescue him. Because he knows that that's not the plan of that eternal kingdom. And for the sake of that eternal kingdom, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus suffered on the cross in the place of rebels, to rescue rebels from the kingdom of rebellion, from the kingdom of darkness, 
and transfer them to the kingdom of God. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friend, if you've ever considered Jesus, consider Him as the one who makes possible the transfer between kingdoms of sinners like you and me. And if you've never looked to Jesus as the means by which you can be redeemed from your rebellion, from your sin, from your bondage to sin, and be transferred to Jesus, I want to plead with you. I want to encourage you. Don't leave leave this place without turning to Jesus to save you, to transfer you from the domain, from the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom that He has come to usher in. The kingdom of this earth is doomed to be destroyed and taken over and be replaced by the kingdom of God. This is the mystery that has been revealed to us. On that final day, when this transfer will be completed, you will not want to find yourself still belonging and still holding and still cherishing the kingdom of this earth. So why strive for the kingdom whose end is already determined to be doomed? As early as the book of Daniel that was made known to the king of kings at that time, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And that same news is being reaffirmed and confirmed by this angel now in the book of Revelation. Friends, the good news we have in this angelic announcement is that the mystery of God has been announced to these prophets. For those of us who are Christians, are you paying attention to what God revealed to us through His prophets? So that this mystery of God would not catch you unprepared or ignorant? An important reason why we love to study the Bible in this church is because we want to pay attention carefully to what God revealed to us through His servants, the prophets. Because whatever He says here is true and will come to fruition. That's why we preach long sermons on Sunday morning. That's why we encourage you to meet during the week in Bible studies. Um, Whether it's home groups, whether it's ladies' Bible studies, whether men getting getting together to study the Bible, whether it's one-on-one discipling, get in the Scripture. Understand what God has revealed to us through His prophets. Friends, trust that what God has revealed will take place. All of that is God's confirmation that the mystery of God will be fulfilled. But there's a second point to the sermon. And this one will be quite quick and short. You know, it's like, um, it's like when you have to rip a Band-Aid. This is what this point will look like. Here's why. God's message must be proclaimed even if it's bitter. John gets a confirmation that not only God's mystery will be fully fulfilled, but John gets a ministry that he must keep preaching. He gets a confirmation that he's, he must keep prophesying. John's ministry is not over yet. He's on Patmos. He's tied up. But he, he, his message must be continued to be proclaimed. But the way John gets his message is a little bizarre and different. 
instead of simply being told, hey, you got, you got to just keep prophesying. Well, we do get that in verse 11. But instead of just being told that, John gets a command to go to the angel, this mighty angel, grab the scroll from his hand, take it. And imagine John going to this angel in dazzling light, in fearful appearance, going and says, give me the scroll. And John does it. And as he does that, the big angel, the mighty angel, the fearful angel, tells John, take it and eat it. And when you eat it, it will be bitter in your stomach, but sweet in your mouth. Now, the action of eating a scroll may puzzle us, but it's not unique in the Bible. Earlier in the Old Testament, when God called the, book, the prophet Ezekiel, and when God called the prophet Jeremiah to go and prophesy, God gave them the commission in the same way. Gave them a scroll to eat. Both Ezekiel and Jeremiah experienced that. And they are commanded, both Ezekiel and, 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 and Jeremiah are, when they eat the scroll, it's sweet in their mouth, sweeter than honey. But then as they eat it, God says, you must prophesy. And it's in, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophecy are messages of woe and doom. They're not pleasant messages. And that's what, in the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, caused the bitterness. It was not a pleasant message to hear. In a similar way, in Revelation 10... John is told, eat the scroll, it will be sweet in your mouth, it will be sweet to taste it, but when you have digested it, it's bitter. In other words, even though the message of Revelation is that God's purpose will be fulfilled, which is a sweet message, John is warned that God's people will experience trouble and suffering. As we will see, the two witnesses experience that in Revelation 11. So that, here's how one interpreter summarizes this little scroll and its significance of sweet and bitter. The little scroll unveils the lot of the faithful in those last days of fierce satanic opposition. The prospect of no further delay in the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose is sweet indeed. But that will involve a bitter prelude. It's hard to swallow. In other words, God's word can be very sweet, is very sweet to us. But it also can produce in us a bitter experience. Because on this side of eternity, God's people are called both to hope in the victory of God, and also to endure the suffering that God predicts they will go through before the end. We should not live with a superficial triumphalism that only accounts for the sweetness of the Christian life. There's a deep sense in which, as Christians, we also experience the bitterness of being God's children in a world hostile to God. And again, the bombings of, of Sri Lanka of last week over 250 people killed, are an example, are a horrific example that God's children can experience the bitter sweet, 
experience of being followers of Christ. Friends, ask yourself, are there any ways in which you seek to avoid any bitter tastes that God's message might cause us or those to whom we communicate it? Last week, the baptismal testimonies we heard not only ended with a hope of committing one's life to follow Christ, but they also made a clear nuance that they are committing to follow Christ despite any sufferings that the name of Christ will bring. Joyful for seeing God's grace in freeing people, but the bitterness that it may involve suffering. Now, there's a sense in which the book of Revelation warns us that the, the, the people of God, before the very end, will come. The people of God will go through the suffering. I love how another Baptist commentator mentioned, for the church must learn that the weight of the cross before the church must learn the weight of the cross before she participates in the glory of the kingdom. And the world must learn the reality of judgment before it experiences the grace of the kingdom. Friends, the Christian message includes both the sweetness and the bitterness. And in light of that, which may feel like pulling a band-aid, it hurts when it's being pulled, but it's good for us to be pulled. In the same way, John is told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is the only time in the book of Revelation when the four descriptions of who should hear this message includes kings. In the past, it's been peoples, nations, languages, and tribes. But this time, it includes kings to let everyone know that no one, even in the highest authority of office, of an earthly office, can be sheltered or should be sheltered to hear another kingdom is coming. Another dominion is about to take over. No earthly office No earthly authority can shelter us from the destruction that is coming upon this earth and the transfer that God will bring to the kingdom of his beloved son. My friend, ask yourself, do you cherish this confirmation about the end? Do you cherish it? Do you treasure it? Do you hold on to it? Do you prophesy it? Do you announce it? This message must be announced, even if it's bitter. I pray that the Lord would help us do so. Would you pray with me?